All right. Today we're going to be in Romans chapter 3. Hey, on your way down, can you uh, close that door? Because I can hear myself talking. All right. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. We've been in Romans for a while now. Uh, we're going to take a break uh, coming up next week, and we'll, get, we'll jump back in it. Uh, but it's our practice to go uh, through uh, books of the Bible verse by verse because we want uh, the Lord to set the stage of, of what we talk about, of what we speak about. All right. Now, I just want to open it up with a question. Just, you don't have to answer it out loud. Sometimes people do that. It was just funny. But how do you respond when people betray you? What happens in your heart? You know, you'll have a, you'll, you'll have a flash of anger, some frustration. Maybe you'll make some plans to get back. Right? These are kind of the, the gut level reactions that we have to betrayal. And a lot of times we assume that God responds in the exact same way. Because that's, that's our gut level response to betrayal, to wrongdoing towards us. We just assume that God responds the same way. So if we are feeling kind of bad about our relationship with the Lord or we feel like we've missed a couple, a couple things, we're like, man, God is probably pretty ticked right now. But we do need to ask the question and not simply assume how does God respond to people who betray him. So we're going to look at Romans 3, 21. I'm going to read the whole, uh, read the rest of the chapter. It says, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, since there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God presented him as the mercy seat by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and justify the one who has faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By one of works? No, on the contrary, by a law of faith. For we conclude that a person is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too, since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we nullify the law through faith? Absolutely not. On the contrary, we uphold the law. All right, Holy Spirit, give me grace. All right, so it starts off with this, this understanding. We need, we need to back up and think a minute for, about Romans chapter 1 and 2 and the first part of 3. It, it really displays our, our sinful condition. 
It probably was not the happiest things to preach through and probably the happiest things to hear. But it talks about the reality of how we and others act. And it, and, and it says that the cause of our sin is this word called idolatry. In other words, we put things that were created over the creator. We take things that, that we should have been thankful to him about and made them our ultimate good in what we center and circle our lives around. Here's the craziest thing about creation. Creation is good, right? When God created the world, what did he say? He said it was very good. And so idolatry is when we take something that is good and we make it ultimate. We take something that is good and we make it God. Now, there, there are all these examples of this, uh, one that I think is most common that we see uh, kind of in front of our faces is that we think that we should have personal happiness at all costs. Now, does God want you to be happy? Yes. Yes, it's a gift from him that you would see how good he is. But, but if I center my life around happiness, then if I make all my decisions filtered around what will make me personally happy, that hurts people. It doesn't just hurt people. Usually it hurts the weak, right? So if, if parents center their lives over what makes them happy personally, who suffers? If, if people in charge of big companies decide to do what makes them happy personally, who suffers? Workers. If people in government decide to do what personally makes them happy, who suffers? Various citizens. So here's, here's the deal. Listen, happiness is a good thing. It's not a thing that is abominable, but if we make it the center of our lives, as with any good thing, we reap destruction. Now here's the deal. Our knowledge of God and his rules does not change our will or our choices. In other words, we do not do wrong because we do not know. I'm sure it's probably a rare thing that you felt regret over something that you like, man, I ain't even know I was supposed to do that. Nah, you, we do. We do. Right? So, so, it's, so here's the deal. Like, our gut reaction is that when we fix the wrong by giving more information, if people have more information, then they'll make the right choices. But, beloved, we see that that is not true. Okay, so the, 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 the truth is that we can't escape this condition just by more knowledge of what we ought to do. It's because the Bible teaches that we have a nature that is sinful. Now, here's, here's the deal. If you think, a lot of times you think, well, why did somebody do that? Why did somebody do that? I'm going to tell you something that might, might revolutionize the way you think about yourself. Why did somebody do that? Because they wanted to. <laughs> that's, that's, now, because, 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 by the end of the day, we do what we want to do. <laughs> right? So somebody said, oh, man, I wish I, I mean, I, I wanted to come, you know, but no, no. You, you did exactly what you wanted to do, and it was convenient. Okay, so, so we, 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 so like, it's like, well, we accidentally sin sometimes, like all the time, a lot. No, we do what we want to do. Now, the question would be like, okay, well, it, but is it fundamental, you know, to the nature of, of how we live? It, it would be like asking the question, why do dogs bark? Well, because they're dogs. 
what they do, right? That's just kind of like par for the course. Now, it'd be weird if, every, you know, if your dog started meowing, you'd be like, wait a minute. That's not how you're supposed to be. But people act, things act according to their nature. Why do we sin? Because we're sinners. It's not unusual for it to happen. It's, it's quite common. So, so we, we, we have this dilemma. And here's the deal. We always kind of look at the dilemma primarily through the lens of what it does to others, right? Or how it hurts our personal goals. But we need to understand, let's, okay, let's say if I were to give you advice, I would give you advice and say, say it was good. Say I gave you some good advice. And I gave you the advice and you looked at me and you said, that's the dumbest advice I've ever heard. What I feel like personally, like slighted by that, like, forget you then, you know? <laughs> so, okay, okay. So, so, so if God gives us rules and laws that are right and good, and we say, no, nah, I don't like that. That's, that. That ain't even right. That's, that's dumb. I want you to understand, we, we, we subtly separate what God says from who he is. But we understand that's not how it works. If you, if you look at God's law, you're like, nah, I ain't even about that life. You look at God and say, I ain't about you. All right, so, so our, our, our issue is, is not simply and not only that our actions that are bad hurt other people, it's that our actions are a statement about what we truly feel about God. Yeah, I mean, you, you understand somebody who's in a relationship and they're acting all kinds of crazy to one another and they're like, but I love them, no. But, but it's like, but no, that's not how you act in no. Sometimes our words and our actions don't align. So with that stage set, that sin is an affront to God and it does damage to humanity and messes up everything, what is God's response to that? Now, our natural gut inclination is that God will be like, I will forget you, but that is not our God. Look at verse 21. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ. To all who believe, since there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. What I love is it says, look, look, God is going to be faithful and God has shown his faithfulness in another way. Well, what was the original way he was going to show faithfulness? See, he could have shown faithfulness by rewarding our obedience. Would that not have made him faithful? Hey, will you do this? If you do this, it'll go well with you. Then you do it and it goes well. That, that, would that not have made him faithful? That would have made him truthful. But so the, the issue and the agreement wasn't on his part. The issue is that he had this agreement, hey, you can live a blessed life if you listen and obey me. And we decided not to. Yet, yet because God loved us, he says, well, that, that way didn't work. Not because of me, but because of them. But because I love them, I, I got to make another route. I got to make another way. His love caused him to be kind to us even in our failure. Now, there's a key word in that passage. That word is justify. We don't use that a whole lot, right? That key word is justify. What is justification? What is this justifying he is talking about? Theologically, justification means our declared righteousness before God, made possible by Christ's death and resurrection for us. So, so, so imagine, imagine a court of law, 
okay? And it's deciding if you're sinful and the punishment for your sin. Now, we guilt, we guilty now, right? Let's not play. All right? So we guilty. The charges are in. Everybody know we did it. The judge, who not only created the law but obeyed it fully, looks at us and says, I love you, though. I don't want you to suffer the consequences of what you will. So imagine the judge getting up out of his chair, coming down to where you are, going to the bailiff and say, handcuff me instead. Though they did wrong, though they did wrong against me, I love them. And I'm going to take their punishment in their place. Not only that, Imagine that when you left that room, that somehow you had the reputation of the judge, the judge who obeyed the law perfectly. Now, our minds can't comprehend that because the reality is that we actually did sin. It's not a, it's not a farce. It's not like a, a plaything. We actually did that. But Jesus, in his grace, he is the righteous judge who takes our punishment, our judgment in our place. Beloved, that is justification. The consequences of sin are are separation from God, but God does not treat us that way. He actually draws close to us in our sin. So so in other words, there's there's this great exchange that happens. In justification, what happens is there's there's an exchange of reputations and consequences. Now, Jesus, his reputation is good. The consequences of his actions should be reward. Our reputation is bad. The consequences of our actions should be punishment. What Jesus does is this switch. Where on the cross, he bears the shame of our reputation and takes the consequences of what we have done. But it didn't stop there, y'all. In his resurrection and our faith in him, we get his reputation and the rewards of what he has done. In Christ, it's not simply that your slate has been wiped clean. It's more than that. It's more than that. It's that you have the record of Christ. Now, let's dig into that. So how do we get that? How do we get that? It's the scripture is clear. It says, through faith. Through faith. What is faith? Well, we acknowledge the truth of what he said about us and him. We acknowledge, hey, man, I I messed it up. I'm a sinful person. I didn't do it. I slighted God in my sin. And then we trust him and we receive and rest in him alone. Faith is, is, I've heard it say, is an empty hand. Christ says, here's his gift. And we're like, okay, that's faith. That's faith. Here's the deal. We trust in Jesus. And we get his benefits, but not from our performance. Here's what I mean, is that that we don't have to strive to make God like us. We don't have to strive in order for him to say good and well done. We don't have to strive in order for him to look at us with love and satisfaction. This is the goodness of the gospel. And I want you to remember, remember the, the, I don't know how many, the four or five sermons before this. Remember the reality of sin. Remember how broken it messes, it messes everything up. 
And we are culpable. And God looks at us and says, I love you, not simply to not regard what you did, but to give you a reward. That's crazy. But that's our God. What I love, he says, he says, says, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law of the prophets. In other words, he's saying the Old Testament foretold that there would be a remedy to our situation. It's not like Jesus came and he was like, oh, surprise. No, no, no. The, the Bible has been setting this up since Genesis that God would rectify our problem. The Old Testament points to the reality of the problem. Look, there's some story. I don't know if you ever read the Old Testament, man. I don't know if you ever, like, I don't know, like, if you ever read the Old Testament, like, what a child. You're like, can I read that? That's crazy. You know, <laughs> they was wilding. The Bible does not pull punches on the reality of sin. Every category of sin is up in there as a description through the examples. These stories do not pull punches, but yet at the same time, it points to the solution. We could spend all day talking about, talking about these evidences, but I'm going to read you one. It's from Jeremiah 31. It says, instead, this covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my teaching within them, write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. I will forgive their iniquity. And never again remember their sin. Beloved, we see that God will forgive us. He will change us. See, the the Old Testament law is do this and live. Do this and live. Beloved, now it's God has done something so that we can live. Now we're left with this problem, this, this history of sin. Now, you might not know it's a problem, but Scripture brings it up as a problem. Look at the verse 25. It says, God presented him as a mercy seat by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and justify the one who has faith in Jesus. So here's, a, here's, a, here's a question. How can God pass over sins and not be considered unjust. How can God, now you like, well, because he's nice, right? But ask yourself the question, how do you feel when justice is not served? How do you feel when justice is not served? Hasn't much of this year been about that? Surrounding that question? People are like, tear the system down. People understand that when justice is not served, something is wrong. But we know that God is not wrong. So if he overlooks crime, if he overlooks sin, how can he still be just? This is the question he brings up. And the answer is because of something called the mercy seat. Now that's a call back to the Old Testament temple, that right at the heart of the temple was a place where sacrifices were offered. See, God appointed these sacrificial offerings, these animals in order to show the sinfulness of sin and the opportunity of forgiveness. Listen, they, they didn't just kill animals because they was hungry. They realize that my sin deserves this death, but God has provided a way for me to be forgiven. But it's not without, without coming to terms with the reality and the seriousness of what I have done. There's this practice. They, there's this practice they would have in the Old Testament is, is the priest would, would put his hands on the sheep that was going to be sacrificed. And he would confess all the sins of the people. 
And that, that, that sheep would be sacrificed. Listen, I want you to understand, look at, look at the visual nature that you're around here and all your sins are being confessed. And you're like, oh man, I, there's probably something that needs to happen because of this sin. And God says, it's not on you, it's on this sacrificial lamb. Christ was sacrificed in our place for our sins. Christ is the ultimate innocent sacrifice. Listen, this is what this tells us. God hates sin and takes it seriously. He will not allow sin to go unaddressed. Right? He's not just saying it doesn't matter. Is, he, is that what he's doing in the cross? He's not just saying it's all right. No, it's, it's not all right. And Christ, the judge, took the sentence. I want you to understand, it was not a random punishment, but the lawmaker himself submitted to the consequences of the laws that we broke. Therefore, he is just. He doesn't bend the demands of justice in order to forgive us. He himself pays for it. Beloved, our God is just and forgiving. Not only is he that, he is the justifier because we get included in Jesus' record of perfection and resurrection vindication. See, on the cross, Christ took the guilty verdict for us. And in the resurrection, Christ heard the verdict of innocent for us. Listen, this is the heart of what the cross is about. I want you to understand, he didn't just die to show you he was nice. I mean, there's a lot of things he could have did to show you he was nice, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, there's a lot of different things. He could have, like, gave you something. I don't know. But the idea is our sin had to be dealt with because our sin is serious and our sin requires consequences. But God loves us and he wants us to be near him. And so he deals with his sin in such a way. He deals with our sin in such a way that he takes the brunt of it so that we can be close to him. This is crazy. Here's the deal. This is all because of grace. Look at verse 27. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By one of works? No, on the contrary, by law of faith. For we conclude that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes. Since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Nobody can boast in their salvation. That's one of the weirdest things that, that religious folk have this reputation of being proud of. Isn't that weird? You're like, I'm a sinner and Jesus died for me. Ah. You know, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> there, there is no boasting. Listen, listen, what do we contribute? We contributed the sin that made it necessary. I don't know if you want to boast in that. That'd be weird. There, can't, no, I don't, I don't, listen, I don't care if you've been a Christian for, for 40 seconds or 40 years. Nobody can boast in this. Nobody. But it says, but they are justified because of this principle of faith in Jesus Christ in our place. And then he, gets, so he says, no one can boast in their ethnicity or religious heritage. Nobody's ethnicity makes them any better. Nobody's grandma or grandma, granddaddy, because they were so cool, made them any better. Nah, fam. The cross is this great equalizer. We are all in need of a savior. 
no matter where we came from or what we look like. And yet this salvation is available to all. Now, there's this, this interesting thing. There's this question. It's like verse 31 kind of seems random. Do we nullify the law through faith? Well, absolutely not. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Why did he do that? What's he talking about? Listen, we know that some people use grace as an excuse not to care about God's commands. We know that. It go like this. Hey, man, don't worry about it, man. Just do what you got to do. God will forgive you. It's cool. Don't worry about what it. Don't worry about it. It'll be all right. Just, you know, just do it, and then you later just ask for forgiveness. I don't know, I don't know if you've been there in your mind. I have. But the issue is that's, that's the wrong route. That's the wrong route. This is, this is a wrong way to understand God's law. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you, give you a little lesson. So if God's law doesn't save us, what do we do with it? What do we do with the commands? Why are they there? There's at least three reasons. The first one is that God's law functions as a guardrail. Listen, sometimes the only reason people don't steal is because they'll go to jail. Not because they just like, I'm holy today. They're like, I just don't want to go to jail today. I really want to steal in my heart, but I don't want to go to jail. Listen, God's law functions as a guardrail. Imagine if there was no law. Imagine if there was no morality. People would do whatever, whatever they want to do. But God's law functions as this guardrail so that a society doesn't go off of the cliff. Right? So it's, it's a good and pure function. Listen, I'm thankful for that. There's sometimes I'm not feeling holy. But I'm like, I, don't want, I know what's going to happen if I do that, though. All right, it's the guardrail. That's, that's true. Another one, the other function of God's law is it's, it's a mirror. Jesus demonstrated this function. He, in, a, in a sermon, he would say, you have heard it say that you shall not murder. But I say if you have hate in your heart, you have murdered your brother. See, listen, without God's law, we would just, like, if, particularly those of us who might be a little cleaner, we'd be like, well, we straight, though. We all right. No, no, no. No, no, no. We hold God's law up to our own hearts, and we see that we are needy. We hold God's law up to us and say, oh, man, if, if I'm making it, it ain't because of me, because I cannot meet this. I need somebody to help me. Beloved, when you're reading the scripture and you see the demands of God's law and you start to despair and you're like, oh my goodness, I don't do this. That is an opportunity for you to rejoice in your justification. That God did not accept you because of what you did or did not do. But because of what Christ has done. And there's, there's one last use. We use God's law as a God. Listen, not as a way to gain pleasure, God's pleasure but as a wise and good way of life. I want you to see the distinction. There's, there's a way I could look at God's laws like, if I do that, he'll like me. That's not what we're talking about. Like, but if I do that, it will go well with me, though. Because <laughs> God's laws are good. Right? It will be beneficial to those around me if I obey God. Like, God's law ain't bad. But I can't use it as a way to, to get in. But when I'm thinking through how and should, should I live and what should I do, it would behoove me <laughs> to listen to what he said because he wants my good and the good of those around me. Listen, Paul went through this horrible, horrible news 
to tell you of this good news, that God does not respond to the messed upness of the world just by saying, forget y'all. But he loves us so much that he came in Christ to die for us. And so here's the deal. Stop waiting until you get right to come to God. Now, listen, I, I have a lot of conversations about people, and they'll go like this. Hey, man, you want to come to church on Sunday? Well, I just need to fix a couple things, and then, you know, I, you know I'll be there. But, but, but it, it, depending on the, the goodness of the week that I had, maybe I'll be there. Listen, you know, you know that's how people are thinking. You know that's how we think. But listen, this reveals that we really think we can save ourselves or that we can contribute a little bit to it. You know, God does 90%, and I, I just give that 10 then I'm in. Nah, you don't contribute anything. So there's no use on waiting until you get better. You don't contribute anything to it. You just leave the gift on the table. Not only that, justification isn't just for getting in, if you will. It means that we have present peace with God. Listen, I, I didn't talk to, uh, I didn't talk to people, and I didn't talk to myself. I know how it works. You wake up in the morning. And you think about God, and your mind immediately goes to, well, did I do all, did I do all right yesterday? Oh, man, I, I, was, I was tripping yesterday. Oh, man, I better ask for forgiveness real hard today. I better read extra hard because he, might, he probably mad at me about yesterday. Am I, am I making that up? No, I ain't making that up. I know that's how we think. I know that's how I think. Man, I was, man, I was wilding. I got to do something extra today so he'd be all right with me. Listen. You don't contribute anything to your salvation. Pre you get saved, and you don't contribute anything to your salvation right now. This is how you know that, that you understand justification. That when you had a horrible day, and you wake up in the morning, and you go, God is pleased with me. Why could we say that? Not because of what we have done, but because of what he has done. Listen, this everyday justification is the route to peace. Your conscience and your soul is always disturbed by what you have done. And to to a degree, that's good. You don't want to be callous. But when it comes to how do I approach the Lord? And on the vice versa, say you had a balling day. Say you was, man, you was obeying the commandments like crazy. You like, man, I said no to all the sins. It was great. And you go to pray, you're like, God, I bet you like me now. No. God does like you, but not because of that. Because of what Christ says. Listen, this, this, this is on the ground stuff, man. This is everyday stuff. I need to realize and I need to feast and think about this justification every day. It gives peace and, and I feel a, a, a carefreeness in my heart. Because I'm not sitting here trying to figure out, are me and God cool today? I don't have to, I don't have to worry about that. Jesus has already done something. Now, here's, here's where it's going to get hard, y'all. If justification is true, that means that we can forgive others. Does forgiveness cost something? Yes. <laughs> yes. Did, did, did forgiveness cost God something? Yes. Now, you understand that when you forgive somebody, like, like it's like you, you're taking like a, a little bit of the emotional toll on yourself. 
it doesn't just disappear. You're, you're like, you, you feel it. There's some sort of loss to it, right? Because you want to rise up and be like, forget you. But now you, you got to, there's some sort of dying to that. There's some sort of dying to self. Beloved, Jesus shows us that forgiveness is costly and it's worth it. So let, let's make it every day. We can talk about forgiveness in the hypothetical. But we all have relationships that we are in every day. If you're married, it's your spouse. You, you might have kids. You got coworkers. Right? In all the various places that you live. And let's be real. If somebody, listen, listen, can they not make you real mad? It's not, it's not usually the people like way, way over there. <laughs> that person who I met one time. But no, the people that are right here. And they do something that, to, to, to slight you, which shouldn't surprise you because of sin, right? You're not like, oh, man, I can't believe it. No, okay, we sinful. Let's get it. But in that moment, you have the opportunity to, to follow the path of Jesus by taking in the pain that it, that it takes to forgive and not holding what they have done against them. This is where the rubber meets the road, y'all. And the last thing that this means is that there's been a lot of talk about justice. What we understand from this doctrine of justification is that justice is not vindictive. Justice is not about just, you know, getting somebody back. Justice, biblically, is about redemption. It's about restoration. So that should reflect how we think about uh, all of the systems of justice around us. Are they for the sake of restoration? Because that's how our God sees justice. So, so y'all, we got a lot to rejoice in. Though the news about us in the world is bad, God has done something. Listen, listen, I want you to understand that you can't mess it up. Can you kill Jesus again? No. Can you make him undie on the cross? No. The truth about the forgiveness and the justification is as sure as the death and resurrection, and it's as changeable as that as well, which means it doesn't change. So we can rejoice. And we can know that God looks at us with the same pleasure that he has in Christ Jesus. That's his heart, his attitude, his, his face towards you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for the truth of your word. That you saw our sin and that, that you were moved to save us. And, and this act of salvation, well, it, it was costly. It cost your very blood. But Lord, you have given us this salvation so that we can run to you with, with, with a sense of understanding that our sin has been dealt with. There's no more, there's no more uh, uh, work that we have to do to earn anything, Lord. You have done it all. And so, Lord, I pray that we would live this week and all our days in the light of the goodness of your face, understanding that you have pleasure and joy and, and such good when you think about us. Lord, convince our hearts by the Spirit when we doubt that truth. Show us when we're trying to, to earn your pleasure. And help us see how you have taken care of us in Christ Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your word that is proclaimed. And Lord, we thank you for 
the word of the Lord's Supper. Lord God, as we think about your body that was actually broken and your blood that was actually spilled, and we remember what you have done and proclaim what you have done through symbol. Holy Spirit, would you meet us as we think, reflect, and thank you for what you have done for us in Christ. Amen. Amen. All right, we're going to uh, take communion uh, like we do every week. Um, COVID. Um, and so I always want to remind all of us that communion is, is for those who have, have trusted in Christ, uh, for those who have, have put their faith in Christ and has demonstrated it by baptism. If, 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 this is not, if you don't have a meaningful connection to Christ, uh, this is just a snack. And, but if you have been renewed by Christ, this is the reaffirmation of what he has done and a symbol of his peace to you. And so we're going to, to take it together. Um, if you would, uh, please come in and uh, take one of these. You can come on and get it now. We're going to take it together. So come on and get one of these packets. We can prepare it for us to take together. Now as we move to come get it, let's reflect on the reality of what Christ has, has done for us. On the night that he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread, and we had given thanks, he broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So let's take the bread. Likewise, after supper, Jesus took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink this, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the cup. Lord, thank you for your body and your blood. Thank you, Lord God, that you were moved to action, that you took on flesh, and that you give us life today. Lord, would we remember that and cling to that and get strength from that?
In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. So a couple of things. We've been doing this for a while, for a couple of weeks now, but the scripture says that when we take communion, that we are proclaiming the Lord's death. We are are making a statement about him. And I want our statement about him to be right and correct and good. And so we have been confessing the Apostles' Creed together to remember what is it exactly that we believe? What is the core of our belief? What's our pledge of allegiance, if you will? And so we're going to read it together. It's on the screen or on the paper. All right, let's read. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Amen. I want to take time to let you guys, uh, to to recognize someone. Uh, So Austin, if you would come on up here. Austin Ogletree. Try to spell that. <laughs> yeah, you can. All right. So um, I just want to recognize Austin. So Austin has been uh, the worship leader here uh, since 2017. Uh, and so, yeah, give him a hand. We, I, I remember when it was, we met in, like, this basement fellowship hall, and it, it, the band was him, like, it was him. <laughs> and like, like he put some worship pads on and you know what I'm saying? And we made it work. We made it work. But I just I want to tell everybody what I've told you is that in the years uh, that you've been doing the worship ministry, I've never had any worry about it. Uh, it's, it's never been something like, is it going OK? It has always been well organized. The people on the team have always been motivated and the other thing, you know, worship and song is really important because it teaches us about God. There, it, y'all, y'all remember the songs way more than you remember my sermon, okay? And I've never had a question about, are the songs that Austin picks, are they, are they doctrinally right? Will they give us good information, true information to feed our hearts? And so a lot has changed since 2017. You got like, you got two kids now and stuff. So Austin has been doing this. Uh, he has a full-time job. He's been doing this just um, out of the kindness of his heart to serve the church and on his free time. And, and he wants to, to take some time to, to rejuvenate, to refresh. And I want to be clear, this, he is not leaving the church. <laughs> but he is taking a step back from worship ministry. And I just want to honor him in front of you all because he has done an excellent job. And it has been such a gift to me and a gift to our church. It, there are some extra complexities to our church, right? You know, we, we are diverse. You know, we're trying to, to reflect our, our community, and that, that is reflected in the song choice and in how you play the music. And he has been so diligent 
to make sure that everybody can feel welcome as we worship Christ together. And so I'm thankful for him, and I'm, I'm hoping that he just has a good, restful time and as he takes a step back and some refreshing time with his family. I do want us all to pray for him that God would bless him. Could y'all uh, extend your hand to him? Lord Jesus, I, Lord, you delight in faithfulness. You delight in service. You delight in service that is not seen and service that is offered to you. And so, Lord, we thank you for the faithfulness in service that we have seen in Austin. Now, he has served our church through worship. Lord God, that, that there are so many things that he has, uh, time he has put in that nobody has seen. But Lord, he, he, he did it to honor you and to bless the church. And so, Lord, I'm praying that in this next season, you would give his soul a deep refreshing from the Holy Spirit. That he would feel so energized by your presence, by your love. Lord God, I pray that you would bless his, his family as they have um, that, that extra time to be together, Lord God, that, that he was sacrificing. Lord, I pray that you would bless their family time and, and that their, their home would be full of your love, your presence, and your peace. But we thank you for him, and we ask you to bless him. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, thanks, man. Yeah, give him a hand. Give him a hand. All right. So you're like, who's going to lead worship now? Me. No, I'm just playing. Uh, <laughs> no. Uh, so Caleb's going to be our, our interim worship leader. So we'll give him a hand, too. Go, Caleb. <laughs> And so we'll, we'll, we'll keep on keeping on, y'all. So um, the announcements for today, um, nothing, nothing new. We have uh, missional communities. Um, the one that Austin leads uh, meets, it's still here? It meets here on Tuesdays at 6, okay? So right here in the sanctuary. And then there's a missional community on Wednesday that meets here at the church at 7. So it's a great way to to get to know people, to share burdens, to look at scripture, and to pray for one another. And uh, the last thing I'll say is that we have a Bible reading plan. I've been pushing this hard, all right? So if you, if you go to our church website, there's a tab that says Bible reading plan, and it's an app that you download onto your phone. It's two chapters a day. This helps us to be uh, literate in the scriptures, and it also helps us to encourage one another. So what's been awesome is that I've had conversations with people like, and they're like, hey, when you read such and such this morning, and it's been, it's just an encouraging thing to read scripture together. So I want to encourage y'all uh, to do that and to press into that. All right, we're going to do our benediction. Uh, this is from 1 Corinthians 15, verses 20 and 22. Please lift your hands to receive this blessing from the scripture. It says, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Amen. Amen. All right, see you guys next week. Oh, oh. let it be a sweet sound. Let it be a sweet sound. Oh, Jesus, 